This week we have episode 3 of the Bitcoin Beat. We start off talking about Bitcoin's price and a resurgence of Bitcoin dominance. From there we talk about shitcoins, DAP's weekly Ethereum beef, and why we don't need to put everything on the blockchain. We circle back to Bitcoin to wrap the episode, the positive light that it provides in our current climate, and discuss our moral and ethical responsibilities. We hope you enjoy this episode. You can find us on Twitter at SureSats and at SureSats.com. That's S-U-R-E-S-A-T-S.com. So I think in the last episode, we left off with a bunch of doom and gloom. Are we going to start off happier? Can we start off happier? I don't know. (laughs) Can we? Well, we're nine straight weeks of red. Well, aren't we coming in on nine? Maybe. You might be right. Whatever Whatever it is. Eight, nine. It's a lot lot of red, I think. A lot of red in a row. The most in, in, in history, so... We're making new trends. Can we go down further? I think, I mean, it's always possible. I think we get some relief. I think we get some relief. I'd hope so. I mean, we were, I think, talking about last week how probably the only way that we get relief is if we decouple from equities. And this week, equities had a relief rally crypto market as a whole did not, including Bitcoin. But I think we did see a resurgence in some Bitcoin dominance. Basically every other, every Bitcoin pairing was just way down. Oh yeah. yeah. So that was interesting to see. Yeah. We saw Ethereum get murdered in the Bitcoin pair this week, which I think a lot of Bitcoiners are rejoicing in. (laughs) <laughs> myself a little bit included just a little bit just just because we're going to continue our beef with ethereum this week i think uh, we're going to continue dap's going to have a beef with ethereum every week i'm sure he can figure <laughs> out so we'll we'll get one. i don't know if we could continue this every week i don't <laughs> i honestly i'm not like a like i don't hate ethereum i just i just have beef with them every once in a while do we have any i mean do you have any thoughts on why that Bitcoin dominance might be surging. I just think in these markets and in, in bear markets, the Bitcoin usually does end up outperforming everything in the space, especially like if we're having liquidity dried up in traditional markets, people are starting to kind of count their dollars in their bank account. They're not going to be YOLOing dog coins. Uh, yeah, probably at not. At this point, you know, they got to they gotta save for real stuff. No Floki coin. Or- yeah, so like if you think it's a real investment, you'll probably, if you have money to do that, you'll probably still be investing in, in real things, not in these whim bullshit pro- <laughs> projects. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think another reason is we saw the Luna blow up, scare a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to evaluate their own positions in some of their own coins and starting to look at things at a more fundamental level, if it actually makes sense or not, which is what they should be doing in the first place. If you are long-term investing in this space, you should probably understand the fundamentals of your coin. Might help. Yeah, but a lot of people don't. I mean, there's a lot of wannabe traders too that I think have also gotten wrecked. So you're seeing a lot of, we already saw a bunch of liquidations. So... I think all that plays into Bitcoin dominance. For sure. Yeah. I think also, I mean, Vitalik's been kind of weird on Twitter the last couple of weeks. He's just been saying some strange things with that thread. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That thread, he was kind of going in on all, almost all these things on what would make Ethereum bad almost. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, no, actually. That came out after we recorded the last episode. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to find it. And then we'll start our weekly Ethereum beef with Vitalik reading his own beef with Ethereum. (laughs) So we'll read Vitalik's beef with Ethereum. All right, he says, this is just my favorite one off the top. Contradiction between my desire to see Ethereum become a more Bitcoin-like system, emphasizing long-term stability, and stability including culturally 
my realization that getting there requires quite a lot of active, coordinated, short-term change. So it's his realization that. Um, Wait, read that again. Sorry, where where is that? Which one is it? So thread, still some open contradictions oh, with I my see. thoughts and my values that I've been thinking about, but still don't feel like I'm fully resolved. So Vitalik's beef with Ethereum is my, he says a contradiction, All right? It's a contradiction between my desire to see Ethereum become a more Bitcoin-like system, emphasizing long-term stability and stability, including culturally, and my realization that getting there requires quite a lot of active, coordinated, short-term change. So basically he's saying they need to be centralized for now. He hopes to see Ethereum become Bitcoin-like in its culture, because Bitcoin has a very strong culture of resisting change, mm -hmm. decentralized culture of, that emphasizes decentralization and stability. He knows Ethereum not stable. No. I mean, and we've also seen this week, it clearly was not stable. It had a seven block reorg, meaning if you transacted in those seven blocks and, and, and you thought it was a final transaction, you just got screwed over. And is that, that's basically that whole way that <clears throat> validators or even miners would in, in the Bitcoin system organize transactions and how they include them in blocks. Yeah. So that's right. like, um, in that Lido piece that I did, the centralization dilemma article that I wrote discusses MEV a little bit, but basically it's minor extractable value or maximum extractable value and it's transaction ordering. So miners, validators, whatever will order transactions in a certain way that goes against the natural order of transactions. Right. So they do so in a way to maximize their profits. So they will actually put in a bid before you. So they, they saw you wanted to, in these systems and smart contract platforms, since it's a blockchain, everything is, you could see every single bid you're basically doing. So if you were bidding on an NFT or something, and I saw that there was a bid right after that at a higher amount, I would actually, as the validator, put in a bid in between those two amounts. So you would extract value. That, oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's so great. The reorgs and one of the problems with uh, minor extractable values. So they hire these developers that create programs to maximize this, this extraction, right? So some of these, some of the highest extractable value is in multiple blocks reorganized. So if you start mining a, a previous block and then you do all these transaction orderings in between, you could, you end up first off reorging the chain, which is bad for users, but the miner ends up coming up with a lot more money in that system. Hmm. Yeah, this is what the whole, like, leads to kind of centralization. Right, 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 right. Especially if there's not that many validators or if they're colluding, then you have a you know, more likelihood of this happening. Well, what's interesting in this tweet, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that tweet. Just contradiction between my desire to see Ethereum become a more Bitcoin-like system. <laughs> so. Yeah, because he thinks that there's it's, still a need for it's almost like contract platforms right and, and he, a lot of people i think are betting their careers on that to be true i haven't had a need for any of them but some people do use them i'm not going to discount that people use them right. for different things that they find valuable so i'm not going to say that they don't deserve to exist so it's almost like i think seeing the contradiction between the move slow don't take a lot of risks and just kind of, you know, feel it out. And the other side, which is the like move fast, break stuff. Yes. So, but also the decentralization part, I think is important to kind of hit there because he says it requires short-term coordinated short, uh, I see efforts, quite a lot of active coordinated short-term change. Yes. So. Seeing that you want it to be more Bitcoin-like, decentralized, slow-moving, stable, and then also having to have a centralized group of people making decisions on your behalf. Yeah, but then that means he either, I mean, he obviously knows it's very centralized right now or, or it needs to be for it to get to where he wants it to be. But he also thinks long-term then that it could be 
decentralized, like to the point of Bitcoin, but I would disagree. I wrote a whole article on why I think, you know, that's not true. Well, I think the whole thing there then is you're betting on in the entire history of Ethereum, basically it hasn't achieved this. So by holding Ethereum, if you're a long-term holder, you are making the conscious bet that they can figure out this base problem of something that Vitalik himself thinks that Ethereum should have, that Bitcoin has, and you are now trusting the centralized group to figure this out long-term. Whereas if you just hold Bitcoin, it's already figured out. Yes, but like I said, like... Right, you know, you're looking... But essentially, you're, you're making a much more risky bet there. So... Yeah, definitely. Just another one of the things he says here is a contradiction between my desire to see Ethereum become an L1 that can survive truly extreme circumstances and my realization that many key apps on Ethereum already rely on more on far more fragile security assumptions than anything we consider acceptable in Ethereum protocol design. So that would be like the layer two, yeah, so, like the rollups or whatever. Yeah, he says basically like the main apps on Ethereum are very centralized. Um, very fragile, aren't very secure. And those are the main apps that keep the lights on on Ethereum and that he would not deem their security models acceptable for a base layer, but he does see the need for them, you know, to keep the lights on on the L1. Well, basically those, those apps account for what, like hundreds of billions of dollars or maybe hundreds of millions, sorry, not hundreds of billion, hundreds of millions of dollars of lost tokens, coins, and value through hacks every year. Yeah. So, I'd say so. I mean, I guess that's the trade-off there. Well, it's like easy to use versus security. Right. There's a couple more interesting tweets here. Let's see. Contradiction between my love for things like decentralization and democracy and my realization that in practice, I agree with intellectual elites more than the people on many Though definitely not far from all specific policy issues. Then I'll leave that one. That one's pretty brutal. So we'll, <laughs> we'll let you just stew on, on that. Like he had, a, he's been very active. So he has that whole contradiction thread. There's a bunch more of those tweets like that, which is, they're fun to read. They're interesting. And then, and then he did the whole soulbound token thing, stating essentially like he thinks soulbound tokens are the future in Ethereum. And to me, it's just like, it's just like the next thing. It's like ICOs were the thing for Ethereum. Obvious, most of them were scams, pushing casino like assets. And then you had NFTs. Cool. And then you had DeFi, more casino like gambling. Then you had NFTs. And so he's trying to push soulbound tokens as the next big thing on Ethereum, which essentially they are NFTs that you can't transfer after they're sent to you. So like, I don't think it's actually, I don't think it's like a gambling thing because if you can't get rid of it after it's in your wallet, it, uh, how can you, you know, sell it for anything or how can you like so it what's the, value? What's the point of it? It's like ticketing and then like, like diplomas or proof of credentials essentially. Okay. So like if you took a course or something, someone would give you a soul bound token and be like, Hey, you completed this course. My first issue with this is that it doesn't solve anything because essentially what you're doing in this, and so if you're using a blockchain for something like this, what is the point? You could get credentials from a um, centralized service and you're basically trusting them. When you get a diploma or something, you're trusting that university, their, their established document system and, and everything to prove that you, you did graduate. in fact right. graduate. So a soulbound token does nothing different other than you're still trusting the in put data. So you're trusting whoever input the data that you completed the course. And where would you hold that token? Would Just you in hold your it in your own wallet? Yeah. So what happens if you lose it? You no longer graduated from UT Austin. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can, <laughs> you can see it that that wallet, you know, you can lose the password to it or whatever, but you see that that wallet had that in there. So maybe if it I'm got, not saying diplomas are the only thing, but it's like tickets or like you were at this place at that time or whatever. Maybe but, it got to the point when you if you really start to get to like that decentralized identity 
aspect and be able to link it to that decentralized identity yeah. or whatever it is. But the problem with all these is, like I just said, you're trusting whoever's inputting the data. So it's the Oracle prop. That's basically what it is. It's if you're trusting an outside source. So as soon as you start trusting outside sources outside of the blockchain, it becomes not decentralized. So you're trusting a centralized source to prove that you completed whatever it is. So like, let's say I give you this token. I am the, I run this program. Mm -hmm. You actually didn't complete the program, but I said you did. And I gave you this whole amount of token. It didn't prove that you actually completed the program. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Just, you just have the token that says right. you did. doesn't mean that you did. You still have to trust the I see. person that inputs the data. I see. Yeah. So and that. That spins back to the Oracle problem. So what do you have like a, a base explanation of the Oracle problem and. Yeah. It's basically relying on a single source, source of truth to get data off chain. And that essentially breaks the decentralization of smart contracts. Okay. Because it's not within the system. It's you're trusting a source outside of the system. I see. Okay. So anytime you're refer referring to a outside source that breaks any smart contracts, because that single source could be corrupted. I see. Okay. That's the Oracle problem. And it's basically any coin that does not solve that, which is every coin does not solve that, that does smart contracts at the base layer is fake decentralized. <laughs> if you're writing all these smart contracts, but they rely on a single entity showing you prices. Mm -hmm. What if their prices are wrong in that moment of time, then right. all your smart contracts get executed incorrectly. Uh, incorrectly. That happened kind of with the, during the Luna, when it was starting to crash, you had Chainlink who tries to claim to solve the Oracle problem. Basically they're using like multiple arbiters of truth. It's stupid. But anyway, they don't solve it actually. They were citing incorrect sources. Yeah. I mean, so my head's, <laughs> my head's spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same. So like even this week we saw Seth Green. This get, one's good. Get his NFT, his, his, his board ape. Was it his monkey? Yeah. His board ape got hacked and he started creating a whole show based around his board ape. I don't know how far alone they were in the show, but he basically got fished and someone took his Board Ape. So Board Ape Yacht Club gives intellectual property rights for anyone that holds the NFT. So he could create a show based off the fact that he holds the NFT. Yeah, he created this show, but now he doesn't have the monkey. So does he have the IP rights to his show? That's crazy. Does he? I mean, I would think? say no, right? Because he doesn't hold it. Well. I mean, are there laws around, are there established laws around the trading and distribution of these NFTs and how they're transferred between persons. No, but on their site, it's like any person that bought NFT, it's not very clear. So it's like any person that bought the NFT has the rights to this. It's not like whoever has the NFT. Whoever has it, okay. But what that means, that goes back to the Oracle problem. So now they're going to have to hash this out in court to see if he still has the intellectual property rights. So if you're trusting... So we're going back to the whole issue of, at the end of the day, you're still using a service that requires rule of law to determine whether or not you own something. Yes. Yeah, so, so what is the point? Yeah. And that goes back blockchain. to the classic. Exactly. What is the point of the blockchain? You could have done this on a centralized server. Board Ape could have signed a contract. Sent Probably would have been safer. Yeah. Sent it over to Seth Green said, Hey, you own this monkey. You can now make a show with this monkey and you could sell the rights to that show if you want, because we have a contract. Right. Which is what they did. But like, that goes back to like early Ethereum stuff when they used to say code is law, like this is like their mantra, mm. code is law. Mm -hmm. But then they rolled back Ethereum after the original DAO hack. So like code is not law. We've learned that. And if you have a single source of truth, which in Seth Green's case is the judge saying he has intellectual property rights to make his show still, then it doesn't matter. It's for nothing. So I think <clears throat> this will, this will be interesting as I think maybe it plays out in the next couple of years, because 
I think a lot of celebrities probably like Seth Green and a lot of bigger celebrities too have been marketing this shit. They probably have no idea what they're marketing. They don't know how it works. And yeah, they just don't generally understand. And I think once they start to see maybe, or once shit kind of starts coming back on them for promoting this shit that maybe gets people losing money, people getting hacked, et cetera, et cetera. And then realizing that, oh, this is actually just a worse version of like our general security that we have with, you know, intellectual property rights and data rights, et cetera, et cetera. We're actually like regressing instead of progressing with it. It's very strange, but it's like if everything has to be contained in the system, once you start touching things in the real world, the blockchain doesn't hold that up. Right. It's only a source of truth within itself. So I think that kind of like that gets into even more because we're talking with NFTs, with digital items, which are being stolen. And now we're trying to determine who has ownership of digital items. Well, how can you then attach an NFT to a physical item? Oh, yeah. Like, no, yeah, because you can't. It's you about, can't. It's bananas on the blockchain. You can't do it. Right. So I <laughs> That's think. That's the same exact thing. You cannot do that. Right. <laughs> There's people that think that they can, you know, hold their deed for their, their property or like their physical home as an NFT on the blockchain. And then at what, it's going to make it easier for them to transfer it and hold it. But how does that signify that you actually have rights to the property? Because you still need, you know, the city of New York to say that you own that and the police to enforce those rules. There's no one, there's nothing new there. There's no innovation in that system. So I, I just, I don't get it. It goes back to trusting the government and your tax dollars for paying for police to make sure no one steals your house. But that's, I mean. If you have, someone has a deed to your house, but you're still living in there, they have the house. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just like, it's crazy. I don't understand why people think these things. I saw, I saw a tweet from Meltem Demirs saying, if another person, it's something like, if another person tries to sell me health healthcare data on the blockchain i'm gonna kill myself or something like that it's like yeah no we don't want that like first off you need have a chain that is very trustworthy or what if we reorg your your health data out could you have surgery like so stupid yeah like stop putting important data on uh poor security systems like yeah it's ridiculous all right. All right what else next? did we have? We had uh, oh yeah, Martin Scurley come out of jail, started immediately doing shitcoin stuff. We had the WeWork guy, Adam Newman. Is that yeah, Adam yeah, Newman? yeah. I think his name's Adam Newman. There's actually a, I think there's a We Study Billion. It's, it's been a fun week episode on <laughs> on Adam Newman. It was actually really good. I remember listening to it a couple of years ago. But <clears throat> I think what did he make? Is called like the Goddess Nature Token selling carbon credits on the blockchain yeah there we go like back that. to selling carbon credits that touches the real world <laughs> how does that make any sense i don't doesn't it. make any sense but I didn't look into it what's i think what's uh encouraging here though is that this shit's coming out in a bear market so it's probably just gonna fail yeah like immediately yeah. fail. i'll say this it's been an entertaining bear market so far yeah i mean there's like, been a lot of interesting stuff we have luna 2 just come out luna 2 yeah 80 percent down day one yeah day one 80 percent down <laughs> next week we'll probably have luna 3. probably i mean do Quan is still just pumping he's oozing confidence yeah. on twitter just the most pompous fucking guy I, yeah i can't believe hilarious. it hilarious uh bernie madoff you know, he lost sixty billion, I think. And he went to jail for 150 years. 150 years. Doquan lost forty something mil- billion uh, and is out there launching Luna Two. Just second Ponzi. Yeah. Better Ponzi. Yeah. Speaking of Ponzi's, we've also seen Hex this week starting to uh fall apart here. I don't know much about Hex. I just know they are regarded by most people as a Ponzi. I saw Eric Wall this week debate Richard Hart. Oh yeah. Didn't he do that on stage at some place? Yeah. They were in Switzerland. I started watching it a little bit. The audio quality in the first half was really bad. So I had to turn it off. It's just like not 
it's not good at all. But the second half sounded better. I just didn't have time to kind of go through it. But it was pretty clear from what I could hear. Like Eric Wall was just kind of wiping the floor with him on like technical stuff. Richard, good to see. Yeah, Richard Hart. So they're launching a L1. Basically, Hex is just an ERC-20 token okay. on Ethereum. And they do proof of... Not, it's not proof of work. It's proof not... Of something. Proof of, like, holding your... It's not... It's just, like, proof of never selling. <laughs> oh! Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. Right, right, so right, right, a, right. Like, an actual Ponzi. Like you, like, take it and you're required to hold it. Yeah, yeah. A certain and you time. get... You get... Yeah, if, however long you put it in up in, like, a bond or whatever, you get a yield based off of that. So people are putting their hex tokens up for 15 years. So like, <laughs> you know what that reminds like me of? Like a ton of money, 15 years. So they're just getting more hex, but it's going to be worth zero in 15 years. It reminds me of, I don't know if back in the day, like when I was in college, they had those things where you could like buy energy drinks, like you'd buy cases of energy drinks. Yeah, yeah. And then however many Earth. sold, <laughs> yeah, it got people into yeah. was how much money you'd make. And they'd have like pictures of people. Uh, Multi-level like, marketing. And like BMWs and shit. And be like, you could be like this guy making $100,000 a week selling this Ponzi scheme. I mean, here we are again. Same class of human that, that likes X, I think. Yeah. Which we're coming out for everyone this week. I got, we're going to have the hexagons coming after us. We're going to have we're the chain link, chain link people coming chain after linkers. us. Chain linkers. Yeah. Because <laughs> their thing doesn't solve anything either. Should we get into Celsius at all or? Oh yeah. We had Celsius blow up this week as well. I don't have much to say on Celsius other than, I don't know what the Celsius token does. I never liked Celsius from the start. Their model is, uh. Similar to BlockFi, where um, you put your Bitcoin on their platform and they promise you a yield in Bitcoin, and you could also get like Bitcoin back loans and stuff like that. When you put your your coins, your Bitcoin on these platforms, you're basically they are rehypothecating your coins. So explain rehypothecation. Rehypothecation is basically they are telling you your coins are there, or you think that your coins are yours and your actual coins are being lent out to another person and they're being lent out usually to, to short the market. So if you're, if you're a Bitcoin bull and you're, you're using these platforms, you're also contributing to sell pressure. First off, that's the first thing. And then the other thing is just like, not your keys, not your coin. Plus you're dealing with platforms that are susceptible to bank runs because you're dealing with a bearing instrument asset that they are lending out. And if you are trying to reclaim your coins that may not be there, they then have to procure that. So, so basically, if there was a situation that everyone wanted to pull out their value out of Celsius, not there's a, a very good chance that they don't have all that money to give back. It's the same thing as fractional reserve lending in today's basic like banks, how they act is they don't actually have all the money, say in their treasury or wherever they hold it to actually give the money to all of their depositors. Yeah. So you'd actually have the same thing if right. the whole United States wanted to go on a bank run and withdraw all their money at once, it would be impossible. But these basically just, every country yeah, in the yeah. world. But so like in less mature markets, like crypto markets, this could actually happen, especially after you saw Luna blow up. People are getting scared, and then they saw, you know, Tether kind of loses peg for a little bit, which they've proven that they actually can redeem people. So Tether is looking pretty strong right now with they've been redeeming billions of dollars. But Celsius, we've seen the coins start to go down like crazy on, you know, people with fears in the market trying to redeem all their um, Bitcoin from the platform. So we'll see what happens there. I, I doesn't look great right now for Celsius. Yeah. I think there is, there's an interesting th thing there too. I know what's his face, Corey Klippenstein from yeah. Swan and a couple other people, I think Mike Alfred have really been kind of like heating up the FUD on Celsius and, and those chains. And I think, I think you start a bank run. <laughs> right. And I think I saw a tweet from. Adam back, which was, I think a pretty like 
a well-positioned tweet and saying like, you know, these bank runs, you, you should be careful with your words and what you're saying with someone like Celsius or someone with BlockFi, because maybe if you begin to really start to scare everyone that does hold their Bitcoin with them, it could cause that bank run that might not have otherwise been caused. And it could cause a lot of damage right off the bat. Whereas, you know, maybe if you try to educate slowly, you can get people out safely as opposed to like creating this blow up. But at the same time, at the same time, if, if that's a situation that is a possibility, then you probably should be yelling fire. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know if I agree with Adam Backstake. Yeah. Just because. I thought it was an, an interesting perspective coming from the other side, just to like, you know, take it from the other side. Like, I understand, yeah, you probably shouldn't be holding your coins with uh, blocked fire Celsius, but. I mean, I've been saying for so long, been saying it for so long. Big block fire hater. Yeah. Well, yeah, block fire because they do the same thing. And we've seen their rates continue to be suppressed um, because. <laughs> Every week I'm getting a new email. Because their whole model is based off of giving your Bitcoin out to big hedge funds to short. Right. And they don't have the yield to continue to give out to people. So, yeah, I mean, I could see BlockFi being next. I could see BlockFi being next. I could see Nexo being next. It's very possible that they all don't make it out of this bear market. Yeah. I just think trying to find those quick yields. I mean, it's not even worth it. You're getting like three and a half percent. That that was always point my one point. Bitcoin was like, you are risking a potential hundred thousand X, not hundred thousand, hundred slash thousand or whatever. Bitcoin could go to everything divided by 21 million, 21 million for like 5% yield. Like Bitcoin has done like 200% gains every year since its inception, if, yeah. you, if I, you average it out. I mean, I held some, I'll be hands up, you know, with having the, using BlockFi a little bit in the past. And I think I made like $48 in interest. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're risking your coins there. For like 50 bucks. For 50 bucks. So just pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's work an worth. extra hour at work. Yeah, it's not worth it. You're not worth it at all. But, I mean, I could see... It's used for the credit card. They do have the credit card. That's cool. They the credit card is cool. All Bitcoin those. back rewards. I'm cool with that. You know, you know, you're not, you're not putting up any of your own. Bitcoin. Bitcoin there. And if you're going to spend money, you might as well get Bitcoin back. Yeah, no, they were so. one of the first Bitcoin back credit cards, which is cool. I respect them for that, but I don't respect them for rehypothecation. And I don't like their business model. Yeah. So actually go to fold, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm cool with fold. Debit card. Fold, fold been promising a credit card for the last year. We ain't seen it. I'm sure it's not easy. I know. I'm sure it's not easy either, but <laughs> that's why I was like, all right, get the BlockFi credit card, but. I'm fine with the BlockFi credit card. But yeah, so in, how about we stop talking about shit coins? Yeah. Let's, let's uh, switch to, to some Bitcoin news, some good Bitcoin news. So. There has been some decent news this, this past week. We had El Salvador host a, I don't know if it was a conference. I don't know. A forum. I don't know exactly what it was. I just know that they, they had 44 countries represented there and they were talking Bitcoin the whole time. I feel like Bitcoin Beach might have hosted them perhaps and just was giving them information on Bitcoin utilization in the country. They're really... I haven't really seen a whole lot of information on like what they talked about or what went down other than just a couple pictures of like 50 central bankers looking super happy wearing. Yeah. They all took pictures together. Yeah. It was strange. Like you don't see central bankers taking pictures together all that often. And they didn't really, the central bankers there, they did not look European. No, it was a, it was a <laughs> lot of, um. Uh, South American countries. And African, perhaps. Yeah, some African countries. I don't remember all the countries, obviously. But yeah, and I'm sure there were European countries as well, but I'm not entirely sure. So we had that, and then we had a bunch of Bitcoiners representing in Norway. 
at the Oslo Freedom Forum. They were basically, they assembled the, I've seen people say the Avengers. Oh yeah. The, the Bitcoin Avengers over, over there. That's kind of cool. Guess basically just giving their pitch for where they see, uh, Bitcoin going and how they see it being a, a useful tool for freedom. And then on a, another forum, <laughs> the darker side, we had the World Economic Forum. Oh, that was Davos, right? Yeah, yeah, Davos this past week. They were, I heard some murmurs of a central bank digital currency talk. We love it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I saw that. I saw, what was it? I think Alibaba, the media firm or media company talking about that app that they're working on so that people can track their own carbon footprint. Oh. So I think the way that a lot of people were framing it on Twitter was that they were like selling this or creating this as a means of control. It didn't seem like that, you know, right off the bat. It seemed like more they were creating it so that like people could track their like, see what they buy and you know, oh, uh, you know, this and that causes me to have this much carbon emissions. But obviously the ultimate end of that, regardless of their intention, would be some type of control on what you do. But yeah, so. In China, yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, China. Yeah, they, they had a hash rate resurgence though. So, I don't know how uh, true that is, but there's were a lot of sources quoted saying that hash rate in China is back pretty heavily, which is interesting. Like 20%. Yeah. So like they obviously were big, big time banned out of there. So that's either people rebelling, still mining secretly. Mm -hmm. Um, or I don't, I don't know what the alternative or they, they just unbanned it again. Cause we know China does that all the time. Well, there was that thing that I saw like the Shanghai high court recognize Bitcoin as property. Yeah. So maybe we've got China possibly realizing their error and trying to spin back, but I don't think so. I mean, they're just going to play this game back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it, and who cares? it probably was like, like these covert operations, yeah. but at the same time, I also like, how is the Chinese government not seeing massive energy uses in certain locations? Right. It's interesting if, if they're able to spot that. Uh, I think I saw something and, and it maybe uh, this could play into it like last year or two years ago on how the energy usage changed for Bitcoin mining throughout the year based on their seasons, because like in rainy season in China, it turned into like all hydroelectric that was being utilized for mining. So maybe that has caused the resurgence because it's just like basically free stranded energy that they can utilize for it. And maybe it's harder to track because it's not hooked up to a grid or something like that. Yeah. That's you know? a good point. So. Yeah. And then they're probably just using proxies and. Yeah. And, you know, VPNs and stuff like that. That's cool. I mean, that's and good. It's cool see. if they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see just how kind of fluid and liquid and. Resilient. Uh, ad adaptable and yeah. Resilient that the mining network can be to. Just on that point though, is it is resilient. It will come back, but we've been in a downtrend for a while and not in hash rate. We've been in a massive uptrend in hash rate, but a downtrend in price. So I'm a little curious how long we could sustain this uptrend in hash rate right. while price continues to grind sideways to lower. I'm sure we'll see a hash rate dip at some point with, you know, unprofitable miners coming offline. I'm sure that will be the case if, you know, if we continue to grind lower. So could you see almost this, like the Bitcoin price and the price to mine almost begin to like converge? They should. Like that's kind of basically in how like futures markets work, right? Like in the spot price and the futures price typically come to a point. Would we think that depending on if there's storage capacities and stuff like that. Right. So would we think that that would be something similar that would happen with Bitcoin with yeah. the mining, because 
I mean, I guess Bitcoin has more utility than just the cost of the energy and the materials to mine it. There is other value that can be derived from it. So it really shouldn't one-to-one equal. Well, it depends on how many miners are using it to subsidize stranded energy, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. versus just purely uh, profit-driven organizations that just using it on like they're mining from whatever energy source they could get and and they once they're unprofitable they have to turn mining rigs off right um so could that be like a minor capitulation kind of point of like it doesn't really matter i don't think it would affect the price really because no unless they have to sell a bunch of coins that they're holding on their balance sheet but i would think that the probably the the miners that would be more susceptible to that type of situation are probably not as liquid as ones that are able to hold coins, but the ones that are able to hold coins might have outstanding loans. Yeah. So I remember this discussion a bit last year, once, you know, China banned and we dropped a ton in hash rate. There was a lot of talk about Bitcoin price versus hash rate, which one leads the other it's pretty it's pretty obvious price leads hash rate Absolutely. i don't there used to be a lot of people saying the other way around which doesn't make any sense to me but i will say on terms of like if we see miners having to shut some rigs off and stuff like that and will they sell i think we've seen a big maturation in this market versus like 2017 2013 type of things where mm-hmm. like a lot of these miners are very sophisticated. They have very sophisticated financial divisions where they're hedging their risks with futures, with other derivative contracts, basically like using advanced financial instruments to hedge these moves in price. I think they're playing that as well in the energy markets, like selling futures contracts with energy, maybe not buying spot energy. There's probably a lot of miners that weren't predicting you know, $110 oil prices. Oh yeah. So that could get some of them underwater, but there's some interesting, like basically in the situation, I think, what was it last year or this year in Texas when I don't really know all the details on it, but on how everyone was talking about how these miners were like getting paid by ERCOT to, to power down. Whereas it was more that they had purchased like contracts to hedge the energy and by turning off, they were getting paid like $9,000 a minute or something based on like the fact that they had purchased these futures contracts and they were able to cash them in instead of like actually utilizing the energy or like, I'm just going to sell these. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting way on how they, if, if they, like you're saying with these financial instruments and these very sophisticated financial instruments to hedge themselves, I think they have a lot of options to kind of keep themselves safe in situations. Yeah. Like, like way more now than in the past. Yeah. So I, while it would be a huge, like we would see a huge price drop if they needed to sell a ton of coins, but like, we, I think we already saw that with the China situation. I don't foresee that level of hash rate coming off mm-hmm. and the need to move like the the china situation in 2021 was very different than like price like they they can see this coming like price grinding or whatever they have ways to risk that versus like an outright ban that was kind of a black swan event that, right. like they need to sell all their stuff now right and like get as much money they as they can because they don't know what's going to happen next yeah i mean i think from a regulatory standpoint right i, I think Probably the, the situation and the price could have been foreseen with all the macro issues that are going on. I bet the miners aren't, you know, following plan B's stock to flow model. So they, maybe some of them are. <laughs> we hope not. But yeah. Clearly raw stock to flow. Well, have you seen, he's been tweeting recently and he's saying that, well, maybe his first iteration of the stock to flow, which had the 55,000, that could be, that could be on point. Whereas the hundred K, you know, he, he got a little too aggressive with the hundred K 
You can't so, just keep changing your targets and then yeah, expect people to, to like you <laughs> or to trust you or to follow you. Yeah. I mean, he went so hard with that. And there were a lot of people that were against it that caught flack for a couple of years, but they were proven correct. And then you got to look at these people that were proven correct and see where their thought process came from. There could be almost a, a net benefit to it, though. I feel like it got a lot of people in. In. Yeah, definitely. And then once you're in, you're in. Yeah. To a degree. It makes sense to noob. Right. For sure. That. It really simplified it down. Yeah, like, did we have a finite amount of Bitcoin, but, you know, he forgot the demand side of the equation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just half the equation. Yeah. But. It made more sense prior to last halving, but as we start going forward with each halving, the supply side will matter less and less. Mm -hmm. Right? His whole stock to flow kind of made sense because miners were, you know, not selling as much coins into the market because they they were getting half the supply as the previous four year for every mine block. Right. But as we start getting smaller and smaller quantities and we start going towards basically uh, all the supply has already been, been mined. mined. Exactly. So it's already out so the there. The supply side matters not as much. Right. So it's really just comes into how many people are selling. We have a fixed supply. Yeah. And the demand side of the equation matters more in terms of price, immediate price. Especially like we have, we have seen consistently all time high long-term holders every week. We have like new highs and long-term holders, meaning, you know, someone that has held Bitcoin for over a year hasn't sold their coins. So you would think that would, you know, cause the price of Bitcoin to go up. It's at like 67%, something ridiculous. But the demand side, especially when you have such few coins being exchanged, that matters more in, in the short term. Long term, um, the more people that hold it, the higher the price will get. So what do you think might get us out of this kind of channel that we've been in of just... Kind of said it last time, man. We're, we need liquidity. Well, we did just have, you know, we're probably going to have student loan forgiveness. Yeah. 10,000 per borrow as long as you make less than 150,000 a year. Is that what they I have been, yeah. Something I have been saying for a long time was going to happen. Just. So that's not really, I mean. It's not. It's not true liquidity. No, it's not liquidity because it's not new money. Yeah. I think people have already adjusted their spending. For the fact that they haven't been having to pay their student loans. Yep. So they would have just withdrew way more liquidity, way more demand if they reenacted student loan payments. So we don't Mm. know if that's actually going to happen. Right. But I mean, I think it's a psychological thing. There um, are a lot of borrowers that are now completely whole because of this. Right. You know, something that was over their head. You know, maybe they didn't want to make a big purchase on their house or something because they still had the 10,000 or whatever to, to put down. So we'll see how it affects, if it affects the markets at all. I think, at least just psychologically, it might help consumer demand, which we've seen at a very low point in the last few weeks. So if you have consumer demand at a low, you have the stock markets still pretty down. Although they're reversing in those past, I mean, what, S&P got up to like 41-ish. Yeah. And it was down to like 39. It was like 38 something. Dow Jones. Is what in the thirty ones, thirties? I don't see it as a sustain. I just think it was a I higher think it's a low. Bear market rally. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for it to go, you know, for us to get a true reversal. But we'll see. You know, I don't see anything in the immediate term that, you know, is gonna boost us out of these. There's not a new narrative. There's nothing you know, like, right. like Bitcoin really has traded on narratives and we don't have a new one, right? That, that is, you know, a positive outlook, but people are still accumulating. People are, you know, we've held up pretty well, despite all the macro bearishness. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, we're probably just going to trade sideways for a while. Yeah. I mean, if we start QT here, 
we might get our our big capitulation event and then you'd see uh see a reversal after that see i feel like well maybe the the luna situation was like just a black swan before the the capitulation event definitely not true capitulation no. people are still out there still too much positivity oh yeah way too much positivity <laughs> Yeah. I've been, I've been pretty like not bearish, but like, I, I guess I am pretty bearish, but I, it doesn't affect my strategy. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, you know, it is what it is and just gives you more opportunity to accumulate. accumulate. I think this is probably the last time average people can get whole coins. Probably. Yeah. yeah. This period of time until we get our reversal. It's probably the last time a lot of average people will get full coins. So for coming for that reversal though, I mean, I, I was saying it before and that it might come sooner than we think and how <clears throat> the Fed has been, you know, tightening and trying to crush consumer demand to stave off inflation, but that inflation is largely supply chain driven. So. The Fed is also what dual warranted or dual, uh, they have, they have two mandate, two, two mandates, dual mandate. So they need to control inflation and they need to control jobs. Those are the two things. So they're kind of in that position where, all right, we need to crush consumer demand to get this inflation under control. If we get this consumer demand down. What is that going to do? It's going to lower overall profits from many businesses. It's going to decrease home values. It's going to decrease a lot of things. And that could in turn then reduce the ability for people to maintain their jobs. And so once those job, I think, I think we, what I'm getting at here is I think we really need to pay attention to job reports as they come out. Yeah. They've the still night. been good. Yeah. They've like, been. That's why we're not there. <laughs> right. So I think once that starts to turn, I think is when we're going to see this reversal and whenever that might be, we're going to run away with. Well, it's either that, or like we said in our first episode, the credit markets, the credit markets and the bond markets or the telltale signs. And Actually, Treasury started catching a bid, so they started reversing pretty heavily, actually. Mm -hmm. So we're not there. Yeah. Mm, we'll see. We are not there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, totally fine with that. Like, as long as you can still eat right now, you can still do your thing, might still be a good time to start accumulating because we don't know what these lows are going to look like. We could just stay in this channel for... Now, that could be Max Payne. It's just staying at this I channel think, for six months. I think that would be Max Payne. It's just sitting between like 28 and 31 for <laughs> it's very six possible. months. Yeah. Very possible. But, you know, I also am kind of a contrarian investor. So everyone's bearish right now. You know, right. like everyone's bearish. But at the same time, I could see us continuing to go down. I like betting against everyone, but my strategy has been the same. I'm still like just a dollar cost, cost averaging. That's all I could do. Just Especially like these are unprecedented markets, especially for our generation. We've never seen a true bear market, a true bear market. No, we weren't of investing age and that's true for a lot of people. That's true for like much of the investing population right now, they've never seen a true bear market. Well, that's the thing. I, I just don't know if we're going to see that true bear market yet, because I just feel like the Fed is just not going to let it truly happen because they haven't let it truly happen. The issue is, is they don't have as much control as control. you think they do. Well, I think that it's just going to be a, a reversal again. Yes. But then can they save it if they go too far? I don't think they're going to go too far. Yeah. So we'll see. So it depends. Yeah. But it all boils down to, you know, we're all just anticipating the decision of 12 people in a room. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've tweeted it a couple of times. Just 
you know, another day of markets waiting to see what 12 unelected officials have to say. And that's the big problem here. We're just here, like, trying to hash out what 12 people might do. And, you know, that's kind of what Bitcoin solves is no reliance on central entities to make decisions of your financial future. Right. So how then, if we're going to, we continue to be doom and gloomy. So how does, I guess, Bitcoin provide us maybe a, a positive future? What kind of hope does it give us here? Well, that, that, that is the hope right there is that we don't have a few people that think they have your best interest in heart and they may or may not making the decisions for you. It's everyone collectively uh, making decisions to opt in to a more fairer system. It's not one person making these decisions on, I decide to turn the money printer on today and then we'll give it out to our friends. We'll let them know first that we're going to turn the money printer on so they could, you know, put their, uh, their calls in this week, their, you, their stock calls. Or we're going to, you know, conveniently make it illegal for Fed officials to buy and sell stocks at the top. At the literal top. We at need the, to put that chart. Oh, yeah. We need to put that in the show notes or something. Literally at the top of the market. You also have Nancy Pelosi, the best trader in, <laughs> in, in the world. That is really an unfortunate Twitter account that got banned. Oh, yeah. Was the Nancy Pelosi Twitter or a trading tracker. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, it's like very obviously we live in a corrupt system where people that are closest to the money printer, you know, benefit the most. Bitcoin is not that system. So that that's, that's something to look forward to is that while, yes, there were people that mined Bitcoin before either of us knew about it. There were people that have acquired it before either of us knew about it. There are people that acquired it before we cared about it, but that does not make them have an unfair advantage in the system. Right. Right. They have an early share. They actually deserve that early share, right? They were there. They were the ones pushing it forward. It wouldn't be where it was today, but we have just as much say in the system. My node will have just as much say as their node, you know, on what transactions we deem val uh, valid, right? It's just a fair system. There will only be 21 million. They can't make more Bitcoin, even though they have more of it. They don't have more governance rights because they have more of it. And that's not the system we live in today. I, I mean, I, I will say there definitely is kind of a situation where I think, I mean, those, those people that benefited from getting in early, they still will have a larger sway in general life. Like they will be able to exert their monetary power over yes, but they, others, but they won't be able to alter the money system to benefit them more so than others. Like, whereas, you know, you can create more money in, in the flows of money into certain things where if you're a large equity holder or something, it, it benefits you more so. I like to look at it like, so we live in a system that has a perpetual Cantillion effect right now, the fiat system. Bitcoin was a one-time Cantillion effect. Okay. So it was a Cantillion effect from the beginning, but it trends to distribution. Yes. Yeah. Because you will never have more than you did unless you're providing value right. to the world. Right. And then you're exchanging your Bitcoin for uh, goods and services and stuff like that. And as time goes on, you know, say someone who got in in 2011 and they were 40 years old. Now they're 50, by the time they're 70, maybe they pass and those coins get distributed to their family. And then those coins get distributed further and et cetera, et cetera. It's not like an oligarchy that has some type of control and sway over how things are done governmentally, perhaps. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's a fairer system. That's why it's a system we could look forward to. Yeah. And also like 
everyone's value in this system accrues versus like you don't have this huge wealth divide in the system. You actually have a, like a convergence of, of wealth or, or like everyone's wealth grows together, right. right? Versus like, if you were the poorest right now in the fiat system and you're having such high inflation, you're getting hurt significantly more than people at the top while everyone. So like under a Bitcoin standard, everyone's quality of life would increase together. Because there are those that. Because there's only 21 million. Right. And then you have more stuff divided by 21 million. And there are those that, you know, they might not make enough money to be able to transition into other assets. So at least they have one asset. If they were to say be paid in Bitcoin, they can hold and it can accumulate value as opposed to lose value. Yeah, exactly. Which the US dollar has lost, what, 90 some percent since. 1900, you know, so if you're stuck in us dollars because you can't afford a house or you can't afford it's default savings, it's default accrual of value versus default losing value. This goes back again to, so like the, those that are uneducated or like less financially educated under a Bitcoin standard would default to accruing value versus losing value in a fiat system. Right. And that, I mean, that again, goes back to just. I always talk about laziness in the last few episodes. People being lazy, they don't even have to do anything. They don't have to act. If this was their money, if this was the only money and was the money, everyone would not have to actively do anything. They're just, their work, their time would accrue value. It'd just be stored. Yeah, it'd be stored and it would accrue value over time. Sounds great to me. Yeah, it sounds like a... (laughs) Sounds like a better system. Sounds like a good way out after, you know, our last doom and gloom episode and some more doom and gloom towards the end of this episode. Oh, so that brings me to another thing that I wanted to talk about. And you were saying that you had a a position that you wanted to say after I presented mine that you, you didn't tell me before the show. Talking about just people who always kind of use this retort in regards to Bitcoin, like say... You promoted Luna backing or, or accumulating Bitcoin, which then caused that, you know, short-term run up in Bitcoin. And then the whole thing unravels, et cetera, et cetera. And you respond saying, well, Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin can't care. Well, yeah, of course, Bitcoin can't care. Bitcoin is a piece of technology. It doesn't have morals. It is amoral. It doesn't have any ethics it's it's non-ethical that i I don't think that that absolves you from as a as a human being from acting morally or ethically in how you choose to direct others that might interact with you on how to utilize their bitcoin their fiat dollars etc etc and i i feel like it's it's this like uh the scapegoat that others it's like well if bitcoin doesn't care then why should i no yeah no i agree with you i think part of this show and what we wanted to do was kind of give takes that were more moral or or like are trying to be we're not shilling anything we're just trying to get to a point of truth so mm-hmm. i think a lot of these influencers start pushing things before they kind of kind of dive into it like you could bring it up or like, you know, whatever, like whoever you're talking about and whoever was bringing up Luna, but like, I wouldn't ever tell someone this was a good thing without, you know, doing due diligence. And so like people that were promoting it and saying, you know, go buy it. This is like, or, or like, I mean, I know we've seen Raul Paul, like, like people have been like, oh, what? L1s besides Ethereum, do you like? And it'll be like Saluna, AVAX, Luna. And it's like, he, and then he goes and says he never knew anything about Luna. So like, if you don't know anything about the system, why are you telling people to buy it? Right. You know, that, that, that's a moral responsibility for you. If you don't truly believe in your position, like you shouldn't be going out there and, you know, telling people to invest, especially if you come from a position of influence where you have a lot of followers. Yeah. And I think too, I think the Bitcoin community is pretty strong 
and it seems like there is a lot of almost ethical direction in how everyone perceives the monetary system and, and how they perceive actions. But I think just because of that, it doesn't mean that everyone utilizing the system is going to be ethical or moral. Like it doesn't create oh, yeah, no. that situation. So I, I, it's just like, I don't want to promote people. That oh, no, no, exactly. Amoral things or things that we deem to be harming others. Right. That was only like, that was my only take before. I didn't have anything I thought more eloquent. Were, I thought you were going to come in with some kind of like a, contrarian like maybe before i was but <laughs> I, you know at that point in time in this point in time i you know i agree with you yeah. all right sounds good we have anything else that we we wanted to touch on i think we hit basically everything yeah i don't have anything else i think that was a happier tone to leave off on yeah <laughs> i think we closed that one happy you know maybe let's see did we i'm not sure if the market closed for the day let's see what we got close at 29.55 i think that brings us for a positive week yeah so we might be ending uh the week on a positive green note and ending the episode on a positive note so hopefully up only from here <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that but i do like the positive sentiment so yeah. let's, let's end it on that let's end it this is dab signing off big brune peace